couple, we have a couple left in this series, and we are doing some of our originating um, folks. There's signers of the Declaration. There's people that had uh, a basis that we looked at in our country of how we got the ideals of God and our really our big principle, foundational principles of what we have in America come from the Bible. And we're going to turn to our theme verse, James 1.25. Start with that. <clears throat> Please. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Alright? So it is important to know that our liberty or our freedom, the idea of it comes from God's word. Alright? We're gonna look at one particular gentleman tonight. Uh, he is an interesting guy. You'll find, I think, some pretty cool things about him. And there was a whole bunch of different people that were very interesting. But this is one of the top ones, but you don't hear about him very much. All right? We get from him some of the most interesting ideas that he has taken, really, from the Bible. We'll, we'll show that tonight. About freedom, about equality, and about education. Those are really foundational principles in America today, and they come from this law of liberty. They come from the idea of God. You know, education is an idea of God. God wrote his book, the Bible, and gave it to us in order to show us about him, right? The idea is to educate us, not only in one area, but in all kinds of areas, you will find many references to science and things that it talks about within the Bible. We've done series on those about scientific facts that come from the Bible. Things that even science said, nah, that's not really right. And later on, they found that how it was referred to in the Bible was correct way before they could prove it. Okay? So the idea is it comes from a creator. This knowledge, this huge body of knowledge, he is omniscient. So he writes a book and says, I want you guys to learn this. Now, there's a lot to learn in life, much more than just science, okay? There's a lot to learn about people and about the nature, internal nature of people. There's a lot to learn about a lot of different things. And when the people that started our country came along, we found people like the guy that, that was influential in making the Magna Carta, okay? We talked about uh, principles like that. We talked about people who started colleges and universities here. And we talked about people who did uh, treaties with some of the native tribes in their area who fought for equality for women's rights and equality for uh, African-Americans' rights and things like that, okay? It's, it's been foundational from the beginning some of the battles took a long time to get to, to win, okay? But we're looking at this idea, it wasn't new. None of the ideas that have been fought for that you guys appreciate or don't appreciate in this life are new. They've all been there for a long time, 
Okay? So, he was a very young man who grew up in the city of Philadelphia. Now remember, Philadelphia is in what state? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay, and we remember about the founder of Pennsylvania, right? Yep. William Penn. It was Penn's Woods, and he wanted it just to be Sylvania, right? The woods. But but the king said, nah, I'm going to call it Pennsylvania, Penn's Woods, uh, because he was a Quaker. <clears throat> but there were others, many others within that area. There were German settlers that came into that area, okay, in Pennsylvania, and many others, all right? And the Germans play a little part in one of these things, and if I forget to mention it, I'll try to, I'll try to remember to mention how they tie in. But Benjamin grew up right near the city of Philadelphia, okay? Not near as big as what it is today. There were about 45,000 people in the, in the city of Philadelphia, and that, I only know, happened around 1793, okay? So probably less than 45,000. That's about the size of Batavia, right? That's what Philadelphia was at the time. It was the capital city of the United States for a while, okay? Philadelphia. So it's why Independence Hall is there. The Declaration of Independence gets signed in Philadelphia, okay? A lot of things happen in Philadelphia. Eventually, the folks from the southern colonies and the northern colonies will both give a part of their land right on the line, on the dividing line, and they will create the city of Washington, D.C. and make a capital that's neither southern nor northern, okay? And it's, it's both given from both sides of, of the southern and northern parts, okay? But for now, it's in Pennsylvania. Actually, for a while, New York was also a large city, okay, where... Washington stayed in New York, okay, when he was first president. Last week you learned about Washington, and we're going to learn a different side of Washington today, too. Because this man, Benjamin, knew Washington, all right? And when he was, he was born in 1747, <coughs> and when he was five years old, his father died, okay? And his mother and his father were both different... Uh, they were both different sects of Christianity. And that was a big deal back then. All right? You didn't mix from uh, a Catholic to a Protestant, or you didn't mix even between a Quaker and uh, a Baptist or anything else. You just didn't do that. Okay? So for them to be mixed was kind of a forward thinking thing. All right, at his time, and we'll find that Benjamin was very much a forward thinker. All right, so Benjamin he eventually went to live with his uncle, who was a minister, and his uncle had a great influence on him. And Benjamin grew up and became a doctor. All right, and as a doctor, he actually went to a place that we've learned about the. Uh, College of New Jersey. Princeton? Yeah, the College of New Jersey, which is Princeton. Becomes Princeton University eventually. You remember who was the famous guy who was one of the big uh, presidents 
of Princeton. John Witherspoon. Witherspoon. Okay, so John Witherspoon. He and John Witherspoon are good friends. He learns from Princeton and a couple other colleges how to become a doctor, and then he goes over to Scotland because that's where all of the leading doctors are learning. University, I think it was the University of Edinburgh, where they were learning the latest and the greatest how to bloodlet. Okay? Ever heard of bloodletting? It's when you cut off part of the body and just let it bleed out to try and cure the disease. But it well, you don't, right. You don't necessarily cut it off, but you, you make a slice in somebody to open them up to bleed out blood because... And they believed if they didn't get better, it was the work of a witch, although losing that amount of blood could cause them to pass out and die instantly. Well, so here was the thing. It wasn't always a witch or not a witch. There were times and there were people that believed that, but they believed truly that the disease was in your blood. Okay? And you had to get a bunch of it out. Now, what they didn't know is your body filled right back up with blood within a day, and if the disease was in your blood, you couldn't, like, change it out. You couldn't get enough of it out. Now, we do use some of these things in some of the principles in science today, but at the time, that's what they needed to know. They knew certain things, but they couldn't do a lot of the things because they didn't have the technology. Think about something as simple as a needle. Okay, what type of needle did they have back then? Sewing needle. A sewing needle, not sanitary because they aren't really all aware. There's some people that have some pretty good ideas and Benjamin was one of those guys that first pushed for sanitation. In fact, in the streets of Philadelphia, he said, we need to clean up the sewage because it's making people sick. And they said, nah. That's a dumb idea. Who would ever think of that? Okay? We can't clean these garbage. Why would we clean the garbage off the streets? We didn't do it. Everybody does it all the time. <laughs> he convinced the people in Philadelphia eventually to do it by saying how they would somehow gain money. <laughs> and so he did that, and it helped with sanitation in Philadelphia, of course, one of the largest cities really at the time here. So, one of the major things they're missing, think about this, a needle with a hole through the middle. How do you use that? To sew a dress? No. Nope, nope, not a hole right down the center of it. A four-legged shot. A shot, right? And, and <laughs> this is right, right? But there is no way for another hundred years that they, they don't know how to make them yet. They don't have fine enough equipment to be able to do that because everything that's made is made by a blacksmith, right? So how do you roll a piece of steel this small and make a hole even smaller in it, okay, by a blacksmith? You don't. And if you pull something out of a, out of a forged fire, it's not exactly, I mean, it's sort of sanitary, but it's black and, and charry. Okay, it's not exactly what you want to stick into your body at the time. Right, right? So, just simple things like that, they didn't have that. They had scalpels, 
to cut with, okay? And Benjamin used it. And Benjamin learned about a, a, lot, a, lot, a, a lot about those, okay? They also got rid of other body fluids, okay? And one was your bile, okay? And that is like what's part of your endocrine system, okay? Your chemicals inside of your body. And they believe there was four types of body fluids? They did. They did, yep. And you worked through that. So that was an old idea, but at the time, it was some of the best ideas that they had. Still within that time frame, there were people that were getting corpses and taking them and using them to, to cut them open and figure out what went wrong. And they called that pathology, okay? It was the beginning of pathology. There are still pathologists. You have a tumor in your liver and they cut a piece of your liver out today and they send it to a pathologist and a pathologist within the hospital usually, cuts it open and determines by what they've seen in other places what happened, what's wrong with it. Okay, It's not the doctor that says it's got XYZ in it, it's the pathologist. Okay, So he's learning pathology, he's learning these things of what's going on. He went to France also to learn, to, to Paris, and one of the things they were doing in Paris, which was not at all advanced at the time, was veterinary medicine. So they were just starting to really learn on animals what to do to help them. And so we'll talk about what, what Benjamin did when he came back from that. So little Benjamin grew up, became a doctor, and when he was just about 30 years old, he came back to America. All right. Had grown up in Philadelphia, did lots of things early in his life, as far as education goes, came back to America, and then he started to live by these two principles. All right. We're going to go to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. I'm sorry. Luke chapter number 6. Verse 29. Luke chapter 6. This is one of the major principles that he begins using in his life because he begins to see what doctors are doing, all right, in other places in the world, and he becomes a world renowned doctor. And instead of everybody going over to Scotland and other countries to learn how to be a doctor, People start coming to America once he gets there and starts to teach. All right? So Luke, or yeah, Luke chapter 6, verse number 29, and we're going to go all the way through 36. And I want you to pick out his, his number one principle that he starts to live by in his life. I'm going to sum it up. Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse number 29 through 36, wherever we are. And unto him that smiteth thee on on the one cheek offer also the other, and him that taketh away thy cloak forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love which them love you, what, what thank have ye? For sinners also those that love them. 
And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what they have ye, for sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them for whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye, for sinners also lend to sinners to be received as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. But ye therefore merciful, and as your Father also is merciful. Okay, so what's the principle? There's one big guiding principle in there. Talks about several aspects of it, but... Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay, love your neighbor as you love yourself, or... As in my house, we have two rules, okay, that we start when we're very little. One is treat others like you want to be treated. The golden rule, or uh, my call, that's respect, is what that is, okay? You respect others. And the other one is don't lie, okay? And that's when my kids get in big trouble. They go either of those two things. If they mess with those two things, uh, that's when they're getting the most trouble. All right, so this is what he's saying. Treat others, it's the golden rule as people have labeled it. Treat others like you want to be treated. And it specifically says, who cares if you treat people well that treat you well? That's no big deal. They said bad people do that, all right? But people that come, that are the children of God, even treat those well who don't treat them well. All right? Who have nothing to give back to them. Who have nothing to gain from them. They treat them well because God says it's the right thing to do. Okay? And this is how Benjamin starts to run his whole entire life. Here's some of the things he did. He came back as a doctor, and he began to, he started the very first free medical clinic in America. He saw there were poor people and needy people. He treated black people, and no doctors would treat black people. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't touch it. They weren't allowed to get educated. Okay, it's very rare that that happened at the time, and... You, so there weren't, there weren't doctors, okay? It was very rare to have a doctor that would ever treat any person of color, all right? Just a different place than we live today, but this man came and said, I'm gonna treat them well, because they're another person. I don't care how they treat, anybody else treats them. I'm gonna treat everybody the same. He came in and he became because of that, he became an abolitionist, all right? Now, here's one thing you'll find. Not a single one of these people are perfect. They did great things. All these people, we've learned about their lives, we've learned about things. You'll find every one of them has things where you say, oh, I thought he was an amazing person. He was. But guess what? He did some things wrong, too. He was an abolitionist. And for 10 years, he owned a slave. Everybody says, it doesn't even make sense the way he did it and when he did. 
No one knows. And everything I read and, and listened to about this man, they're like, it doesn't make sense because it's not like the way he lived the rest of his life. He did free that slave, but Benjamin was, was a man of principle, but he was also a human. And that's the important thing to remember about these people. They're humans, like you and me. They mess up, they do things wrong, but overall we look at their life and we say, what did they accomplish and what did they stand for and what did they do? All right. He treated people well. Now, just because he owned a slave doesn't mean he mistreated his slave. Okay. And he did eventually, like I said, free that slave. All right. So he also did this. He started, well, let's see what else we got here. He started five different colleges. Okay. Five of them which is pretty busy for, for a guy who's a doctor already, treating people constantly in his clinics, all right? Not only did he start five colleges, one of them was the first women's college, okay? So he's pushing for women's rights and women's education, and this is back in the 1760s and 1770s and 1780s and 90s is when he's doing these things, all right? Very birth of our country. He wrote and said, most households have mothers that are teaching their children how to be our next citizens. Why aren't we educating them? Why aren't we educating all the mothers? Teaching them what to teach their children, how to teach their children. Why wouldn't you want them to be the best they could possibly be? So he pushed for those things, all right? And you will always find people that say, one bad thing or another bad thing. But again, these, man, these men uh, stood for principles at the time that they lived, right? And it was against society often that what they did. All right, so not, he did that, and he also started, this is interesting, at the time he started to see that there were African Americans that were being segregated in churches. And he didn't run any church, okay? But he was seeing that sometimes there were now the African Americans that would come and sit next to the white people were not being asked, why don't you go sit up in the balcony? Why don't you sit in the back of the church? So he went to a bunch of these different African American people that he knew, and he said, start your own church. So one of the first black churches in America is started with this man, Benjamin Rush, saying, do this. And he came to the dedication of that black church, and he got pounced on by many other people in society because he stood against what everybody else was doing and said, just be your own free people. Do what you need to do. Okay? You have the right to worship like anybody. He pushed for public schools. Isn't that great? You guys all love it, don't you? <laughs> he was one of the ones, and what he said, now here's what's different about what he said about public schools. He said everybody deserves uh, to be able to have education. The government should be able to should do this. All right? 
and he said the prime textbook in schools needs to be the Bible. That's what he said. And you need to do that, not because I want to teach you one way or another to believe, but I want you to, it's the, one of the best books ever written, he said, and you need to learn about Christ. You need to learn about it. He said, it's not enough to learn to be moral in this life. You need to learn about the Son of God that came and died and gave you an opportunity to be forgiven. And that's the reason he wanted them to be, to be put in public schools. All right. So he had a lot of different things he did. He wanted that Bible to be the featured textbook. All right. So one other thing that he pushed for was Proverbs 12:10. All right. And this was the other guiding principle that he lived by. Of course, the first one was probably the most important to treating people well. But number two, Proverbs 12.10, read that please. The righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Alright, here's what he's saying is this, and this comes right from the Bible. It says, you have no right to mistreat animals. Alright, if you are a good person, a righteous person, you will take care of animals. You will pay attention to animals. You won't be cruel. He said evil people are cruel to animals. All right? And that is something that you might know by nature, but God said that's the right thing to do. Now, that doesn't mean you cannot use them, but don't abuse them. All right? They're there for us to do things with. So Benjamin... Uh, Benjamin came and learned all about animals when he was over in Europe. He came back and he wrote pamphlets to people and spread them all over the United States at that point and said, you need to treat your animals well, and here's why you should treat them well. They don't ask anything of you. They get the cheapest food and the cheapest place to live, okay, and they give you the most between eggs and meat and leather and all sorts of things. He laid down glues and all these things. He said, here's all the reasons why you should treat them well, and they will do well for you. And in that, he pushed for some of the veterinary medicine. Now, he wrote a book on veterinary medicine that was used for decades, and it was the leading book in the United States on veterinary medicine. He also wrote a book on um, medicine on humans, a few of them, and he became the leading person for that. And that one was studied for, I think, almost 100 years. All right? With his medical doctorate, he began to focus on mentally ill patients. All right? And that was unheard of. Now, he went to... He went to the hospital in Philadelphia, which was the biggest hospital in the United States at the time. And when he went to... When he went to that hospital, he went down to the basement. And at the time, the basement was where they kept all the mentally ill patients. Like a dungeon. They chained them to the walls, 
They did not clean up after them. They stood there in their own filth. No heat. They drugged them sometimes. Sometimes they did. No heat because they believed that it was more helpful to them to freeze. They believed that it would do something better for them. He went down. Now, his son was one of those people, one of his sons. He had 13 children, okay? One of his sons was a person that started to deal with some mental illness, all right? And so it kind of hit home with him, and he started pushing. And he went and he lobbied that hospital to create a new place and treat those mentally ill patients better. They built an entire building with heat and rooms and places where he went and treated people, all right? In Philadelphia, they built this, the first essentially mental hospital, okay, to treat mental patients. And he began to talk to them began to do all kinds of different things like physical therapy on them, occupational therapy, okay, teaching them how to do things, which is both today very effective forms of medicine that we have and we use those things today. He taught people how to have purpose, all right, the, both the men and the women, he taught them how to do some small trade work and things like that where they could focus on those things. And many of his patients, after, their, after his treatment to them, just treating them kindly, uh, ended up going back functionally into society. So, though he didn't necessarily have the medical technology that we know today, he really worked to say, I need to treat others like I want to be treated. If I was in that spot, I wouldn't want to be chained up in the basement just because my mind isn't right. All right? It's not like necessarily that they did anything bad or wrong, but mentally they were unstable. Okay? And he fought for people like that for the rest of his life. All right? Benjamin was an interesting man. Now, Benjamin, you may think, who is this Benjamin guy? Benjamin is not Benjamin Franklin, okay? Benjamin Franklin was one of his best friends. But this man's name is Benjamin Rush. Okay, Benjamin Rush. He is claimed by many to be one of the top three patriots of the revolution. They said he is, along with Washington and Franklin, the top three patients, patriots of the revolution. And you probably never even heard of him. So why not? He did so many good things medically. He did so many amazing things. Alright? But there were a few things that happened in his life that really changed something. He stood for some things that he believed were right. And they may have been right. But they changed some of his relationships with people. Okay? So what happened with him? All right? Before we get to that, just it's good that you know this. In 1776, Pennsylvania, now he was a, he was a delegate to the Continental Congress for a while. Pennsylvania needed a 
uh, was missing a representative to sign the Declaration of Independence. The man who was, was lined up to sign for Pennsylvania said, I'm not doing it, it's too dangerous. And Benjamin Rush said, I'll do it. So Benjamin Rush is one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, okay? You'll find him in the pictures of that famous picture of all the people signing the Declaration of Independence. He's lined up uh, in there as that man, and you'll find his face on that picture, on that big famous portrait, all right? So he did that, and pretty much after that, he said, I don't really want to do this whole politics thing. I have other things I need to do in my life. He was in the Congress for a short time, um, but he really moved on after a while. It was not his major focus, all right? Thomas Jefferson knew him well, and many other people knew him well, but he, decide, he decided he was gonna go do something else. And so he quit the Congress, and he went to be in the Continental Army under George Washington. They made him the first, I think he was the first, Surgeon General. Do you know what a Surgeon General is? Is it someone that's part of the medical corps for bit? So, like here. the top doctor or whatever. Okay, so really, right, you think, you'd think a Surgeon General, and I did not know this either till recently, okay? But I have a cousin who is in the Army, and he's been in the medical side of the Army for a long time. It's actually a general who is a medical person, okay? That's a, that's a real general, like a, an acting general, right? So he's the top surgeon and the top general. And he's the one, yes, that puts your cigarette packages and says, the surgeon general says, don't do this. I don't know why he writes on your cigarette packages, not that you care, probably, but the Surgeon General has warnings to say this is not safe for you to do, not a healthy thing to do. Benjamin Rush was the first one. What he did was go out into the battlefields without weapons. He was the first one to cross enemy lines and, and do what they now call battlefield medicine. No one did it before him. They all watched them get hit, fall, and stay where they were till the battle moved on. And then they would take, go out and take the bodies, whoever lived, survived it, didn't bleed out, didn't die of whatever, take them back to a hospital behind the lines and try to save their lives, okay? Most of them had already bled out so much or had infections later, many just didn't live. If you got wounded, it was unusual that you lived, okay? Unless if it was a minor wound. But Benjamin Rush went out on the front lines while the fighting was going on and tried to save people's lives right there. Now, here's one of the very difficult things. Not getting right? shot. Well, not getting shot is one thing, but people that have worked in the medical field, okay, and my sister has been a nurse for a long time. They, they just oftentimes have difficult jobs. They go out and many of their patients, though you fight and fight and fight to keep them alive, 
if they are very, very deathly ill, it affects you when day after day after day you're treating patients that are going to die, whether you're in hospice or in a cancer ward or things like that where some of them live, but many of them die. All right, there are things, there are the end of medical science. You just cannot save people all the time. And that gets to be a very difficult job. But Benjamin Rush went out there and many people died. He didn't care if he was getting shot at. And he never, he never was killed on the battlefield. He was captured for a while. And when they found out he was a doctor, they released him. Okay? And sent him back. Why though? Because there was there were some rules of engagement back then. Okay, some some I'll call them gentlemanly rules of war, which you didn't cross certain lines. Okay, and one thing was you didn't take the other people's doctors. You allowed their medical people to do that, or you you returned their dead. You allowed them to get their dead bodies off the field. Okay, there were things like that, but Benjamin Rush did that on site battlefield medicine. He went back to camp, back through and began to write George Washington or talk to George Washington and tell George Washington how they needed to change. They needed to have more sanitary conditions in camp because they weren't always on the battlefield. In camp, guy would walk out of his tent and go to the bathroom right there. Then the next guy would go to the bathroom right there. The next guy would go to the bathroom right there. And he says, you can't do that. Because he said sanitation is important. Many people didn't believe that. And most people didn't live that close together where it mattered. They lived out in the country. And it didn't matter if you went right there because it was only you. But when you had hundreds and thousands of soldiers all together, they began to push and say, why don't you put the... Latrines, the bathroom's on the bottom of the hill, not on the top of the hill. We're going to live here for a few months. What happens when you put the latrines on the top of the hill? It's going to roll down. Yep, <laughs> it all comes down. It affects the water supplies for your camp. It affects the health of your camp. And he began to push those things and many other things that he believed were really important. And General Washington, for whatever reason didn't always agree with all the things that he wanted to do. Now, I'm not saying that it was... General Washington had a lot of things on his mind, okay? And General Washington, and he got along very well until he began to write Continent, the Continental Congress and say, we need to get rid of Washington. He's not a good leader. Get him out and get a new one. We need somebody else because he will not listen, and he will not win this war. How could he say that? <laughs> because at the time, he was standing there watching General Washington, and they had hardly won a single battle yet. They got defeated and defeated and defeated. I may, have lost, the, I may defeated. have lost the battle, but I won the war. Well, but you didn't know that at that time. All they could see was he lost, and he lost, and he lost again, and he lost again, and he lost again. All right? That created a rift between Washington and Benjamin Rush for the rest of their lives. As you can see how he would feel betrayed, Washington, 
Because Washington was giving his all too. All right? So was Benjamin Rush. They both were battling together. And in fact, Benjamin Rush was with Washington's men when they crossed over the Delaware, right? To Trenton, New Jersey and took over the Hessians and had one of the first big wins. And in Valley Forge, they started to win and things like that. But he still, there still was that rift, all right? He fought as that first Surgeon General. He did a lot of good things. But eventually, he quit that army, okay? And he went back to be a doctor, just a plain old doctor, doing a lot more of those things uh, that, had, that he'd been working on his whole life, all right? Trying to help other people, putting other people and animals first, okay? His treatment of animals was also a big thing, all right? So along comes, they win the war, okay? Washington stays in, becomes famous, and Benjamin Rush not so much as famous, although the men that knew him all stood up for him and said he was one of the biggest patriots we ever knew. Only to be equal with Washington and Franklin himself. All right? So Thomas Jefferson said that about Benjamin Rush on his deathbed. He was, there was no one like him. He was the best. Okay? And better than all the rest of us. That man fought his whole life, gave his whole life continually for other people. That's what he did. All right? Now, along came 1793. So we're not quite 20 years after the war began. Uh, a few years into the war, of course, they finally win and get their independence. All right? They're from Britain. Britain resigns. Great Britain, or, yeah, uh, gives up. Okay? Great Britain gives up. And... Then they have in Philadelphia an outbreak of yellow fever. Right? Yellow fever is a terrible, nasty disease. It turns your eyes and your skin yellow, and you bleed into your stomach and vomit black vomit. And that's what these guys did again and again and again. Now, it took lives. There were, like I said, 1793, there were about 45,000 people in all of Philadelphia. 17,000 of them left after this started. 5,000 died. So that's over 10% of the population died. Now think about COVID, right? And how the world turned upside down for, for less than a one-half of 1%. Okay, less than that. This is 11% of people die. Like people are dropping dead. One out of 10, okay? One out of 10 people dies. 10 people in this room, one of you dies of yellow fever. It's rampant and it's killing people everywhere. They thought it was coming from these rotting coffee beans left on the docks in the Philadelphia harbors, okay? They thought that that was one of the reasons it was happening. Benjamin Rush was pushing, and he thought that was there. And there he was, 
he and three other doctors stayed to, to take care of all of the people that were sick. Hundreds and hundreds of patients a day he would see. He tried to do his best to help them of all the medicine he knew. He was bloodletting people. Lots of people. Cutting and bleeding them again and again and again every day. People died, maybe not due to anything that he did or didn't do. But he did all that he knew how to do. Right? And that's all you can ask of a person, of a doctor. You've been trained to do something, that's all you know how to do. You can't do more than that, treat your patients well, and do everything possibly you know how to do. Alright? They died, and they died, and people kept dying, people kept dying. And there was a few journalists that showed up, and they started writing things about Benjamin Rush. That he was a killer. He bled let, he bloodlet thousands of people today, and he's just killing them. And they put it in newspapers all over the United States, and I think in other countries as well. Well, of course, at this point, what? Right? Great Britain wants to make sure everybody else, the Americans, look stupid, right? Because they just lost, lost the war and they're a little sour about it. So they want to make sure that this little infant country gets crushed on their own. And so anything they can do to say this, this is terrible, all right, is what they're going to try to do. So they sent reporters over and things like that from other countries. And they would write about Benjamin Rush, what a terrible person he was. Right? I Those think, were lies. Well, he did what he, would, he could do. And he did all the medicine that he could do. He taught over 3,000 doctors how to be doctors. Okay, in his life, he was a professor of, of medical doctoring. Um, and... Though he sued those guys and won for defaming his name, it didn't really matter. It was already done. The damage was done. He went back and just continued with his medical practice afterwards and fought the fight till really the last bit of his life. And in the very last part of his life, he lived, of course, with his family and his wife. And to the last day of his life, he talked about Christ. He says, I'm a follower of Christ. That's what I do. I only just know what I ought to be doing. Treating others like I should be treated. Taking care of animals. Doing the things that are right to the best I can. And because he fought for the troops the way he did, he was standing out there alone, really. There weren't many that would go with him, fighting battlefield medicine, standing up against George Washington, who became the most beloved leader that we ever had. Everybody loved George Washington. The ironic thing about George Washington is they fought a revolution to be free from a king. And when they were all done, there were a big group of people that said, we need to make George Washington our king. <laughs> right? That's just stupid. <laughs> and, 
It is not smart at that point if you're fighting for revolution. George Washington refused to wear anything like a sash or anything saying, hey, this is the president. And that's how our president doesn't have any unique clothes to this day. They wear suits, but you could buy a suit like him, okay? And, and they look just like everybody else. Because George Washington said, I'm not going to be different. Why do mares wear special sashes then? I don't know. Not too many mares wear real sashes. <laughs> Every once in a while you get one. So, but the idea is this. Now, Benjamin Rush stood up against the leader that people loved and challenged him. And you get that in our country as an accepted norm. And that's okay. To say, are you doing the right thing? Not to say, I hate you, get rid of you, but to say, are we doing the right thing? We have learned to question our leaders to make sure that truth is right in America. And that's one thing that Benjamin Rush did and pushed for, even against Washington. All right. Now, I'm not saying who was right or wrong in that. And probably both of them could have bent a little. But again, they're humans, right? They feel hurt. They feel betrayed, the both of them. They feel not listened to. And so Benjamin Rush, though he was famous in his day, did not carry the same weight as the Washingtons and the Franklins because I think he did stand up for things that were not popular. He wrote a book on how to treat mental patients used for many, many years. Okay? That was an unpopular thing to do. When he stood up and said, take those people out of that dungeon. Do not treat them like that. Build a new place for them. That was unpopular. When he told the people, the black people, build your own church. You don't need those other people to worship with you. You don't have to have them. If you want, build your own church. That was unpopular. All right? And I think a lot of those unpopular ideas, even amongst patriots in this country, it's hard. People are people, no matter what. But here's the last thing I'm going to leave you with. He died. He died in 1813. He also, because he didn't have enough to do, I guess, started our Sunday school uh, in America. Sunday school was never a thing before. Benjamin Rush started a society, a Sunday society, that became Sunday school. All right? And he did that and had that idea. And Sunday school became one of the big things in America that was never in church. They never had church service in Sunday school. They just had church. Okay? Something unique. Benjamin Rush started it. He also started the first Bible society in America. American Bible Society. He started the, Phil the Philadelphia chapter, branch of it, which was the first. Because he believed so strongly that Bibles should be printed and he worked to get them printed quickly and printed uh, in a special way and and eventually they actually patented that special way to be printed.
okay, so that they could get them out to a lot of people because he believed that everybody should have that ability to read God's Word. He believed it was important. He believed in treating people well regardless of who they were. And he was a wonderful man. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 20. I'd like you to read that. The words of Jesus that I think sum up Benjamin Rush's life. What chapter? Chapter 7, verse 20. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Alright? It's a simple thing. Jesus is talking about knowing people that are fake and people that are real in this life. How do you know a person that follows God? He said, just like you know a fruit tree. I walk up, I walk up to an apple tree, and when I see an apple hanging on an apple tree, I say, that's an apple tree. Right? That seems stupid and obvious, except... I don't know all the different types of fruit trees necessarily. I don't know if it's a plum tree until I see a plum hanging on it. I don't know if it's uh, an apple tree necessarily until I see an apple or a cherry tree or something. I know some of those things, but it says you are sure when you see the fruit. When you taste that fruit and you say, yep, it's an apple. Picked it right off there. It's got to be an apple tree. All right. Jesus says, that's how you know who loves God? They have fruit. And it's obvious to everyone around. You can't deny it. There's an apple growing on the apple tree. It's an apple tree. And he says... What type of apple tree, though? <laughs> well, that, there's a lot of personalities within those things. But here's the idea. God, the People know that you love God <laughs> when you do things that reflect God's love. And that is how Benjamin Rush spent his life. Okay? For his children, for his family, for his wife, and for everybody else he came across. Every underdog, every person that wasn't paid attention to, Benjamin Rush fought, fought, and fought, and fought. And so by your fruits you know them. He is one of the foundational people that started so much, pushed how America became how medical things became important in America. He pushed it. He started it. Considered the foundational head. He's actually, I guess, on their seal. Um, I don't know if it's the American Psychiatric Society or something like that, but his head is on their seal because he actually started. He pushed for mental patients to be able to work with them and, and, and learn about their needs and help them, okay? He worked for those people. And he essentially worked himself to death. I think he died when he was 67, right? He just worked and worked and worked and gave of himself and gave of himself. But you had no question where he stood, okay? He was living for God. That's one of the things that made our country what it was, one of the people. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day.